Okay, welcome to our Sutta study. Today we will most likely be finishing up the Alagadupama Sutta, simile of the snake, for our third night. So in just a few minutes we will begin our recitation. We'll just wait until exactly 7 o'clock. Again, the format is to you know, read the Pali, chant the Pali, and then I'll have Michael read the Pali and I will explain, or the English, and I will explain it. We'll do it that way. To start, we'll start with the chanting now. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Tamikave parigaham parikaneyata Yuasa parikaho nicho duo sasato Avivari namadamo sasati samantate vatiktea Pasata no tumhe bikave tam parigaham Yuasa pariga o nicho duo sasato avivarinamadamo sasasi samantate vatiteyati noe tangbante sadu vikave ahampiko tangbikave parigaham nasamanupasami Yuasa parika o nicho duo sasato Aviparinamadamo sasati samantate vatiteya Tambikave atavadupadanam upadieta Yangsa atavadupadanam upadieta now, Pashe Yung Soka Padi Deva Dukado Manasupayasa Pasata to me Vikawe Nahupajayum <laughs> 
Tambikavedittinisayangisayetavyamsadittinisayangisayetonaupajayumsokaparidevadukadomanasupayasa Pasate no tumhe bikawe tang diptini sayang, yang sa diptini sayang ni sayatona upajayung. So kapari dewa dukadona subaya sati, no he tang bante salubikawe, aham bikotang bikawe diptini sayang. Nasamanu pasami yang sadikti nisayang nisayato na upajayong so kaparidewa dukado manasupayasa ajaliwa pikawe satiyataniyam metiyasati ewang bante ataniyewa pikawe Satiyatta-metiyasati-evang-bande Atani-ca-bhikkave-yatani-esa-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat-sat
Uche-yam-vinasang-vibhavang-panyapiti-ti Rosin-tivye-santi-tatra-vikave Tatagata sanao dianando nasumanasam Yanko idam pumbe parinyatam tatame evarupa kariyanti ti tasmatyamikave tumhe chepi pareyaku akoseyum paribaseyum roseyum viheseyum tatratumhe hinakatona apachayum Najeta so anabila di karania Tasmati avika waitum heche pe sakarium Karum kareum mane yum pujayum Tatratum Tasmati avikave tum heche pipare Sakareyum garum kareyum maneyum pujayum Tatratum makaram evamasa Yanko idam pube parinyatam tatame varupakara kariyanti Tasmati hamikawe yanda tumakandang pajahata Tamwo pahinam digaratam hidaya sukaya bhavisati Kinchabikawe natumhakam rupam vikawe natumhakam Tampajahatam wo pahinam digaratam hidaya sukaya bhavisati Vedana bhikkave natum hakam tampadahatam Savo pahinatigaratam hitaya sukaya bhavisati Sanya bhikkave natum hakam tampadahatam Savo pahinatigaratam hitaya sukaya bhavisati Sankara bhikkave natum hakam te pajata Tevo pahina digaratam hitaya sukhaya bhavisanti Vinyanam bhikkave natum hakam tampajata Tampo pahinam digaratam hitaya sukhaya bhavisati Tankimanyatavikawe no he tam bante tam ki sahetu Nani no he tam bante atawa atani avati 
Tampajatatamopahinambigaratangitayasukayapavisati Evanswakato bhikkave maya dhamo Uttano vivato bhakasito jinna pilotiko Evanswakate bhikkave maya dhamo uttane Vivate bhakasite jinna pilotike Yete bhikkhu arahanto kina savavusitavanto Katakaraniya hoitavara anupata sadapta Parikina bhavisam yojana samadanya vimutta Vartante sannati panya panyaya Evansvakato bhikkave maya dhamma Uttano vivato bhakasito jinna pilotiko Evansvakate bhikkave mayadamme Uttane vivate pakasite jinna pilotike Yesam bhikkunam panchuram bhagyani samyojanani bhaginani Sabete yopapatika tataparinibhanino Anavadidamarasmaloka Evansvakato bhikkave mayadamo Uttano vivato pakasito jinna pirotiko Evansvakate bhikkave mayadamme Uttane vivate pakasite jinna pirotike Yesam bhikkunati nisam yojanani pahinani Ragda dosamoha tanubhutatambete sakatagamino Sakideva imam lokam agantva Dukasantam karisanti Evansvakato bhikkave mayadamo Uttano vivato pakasito jinna pirotiko Evansvakate vikave mayadamme Uttane vivate pakasite jinna pirotike Yesam bhikkunam tinisam yojanani pahinani Sabbete sotapana vipatadamma Niyata sambo niparayana evam svakato Evam svakato bhikkave mayadamo Uttano vivato pakasito jinna pilotiko Evam svakate bhikkave mayadamme Uttane vivate pakasite jinna pilotike Yete bhikkhu dhamanusarano rasadharusarino Sabbete sambodhiparayana Evansvakato bhikkave mayadamo uttano vivato pakasito jinna pilotiko Evansvakate bhikkave mayadamo Uttane vivate pakasite jinna pilotike Yesamayasandamantambemamatamsambetetsagaparayanati Inamocha bhagavatamanate bhikkhu bhagavato bhastitam abhinandunti 
Okay, so we've come two-thirds of the way, almost, through the sutta. And now we're getting on to some more uh, definite statements. The Buddha's given his arguments, and this is his closing, the closing statement. A bit more decisive here. Go ahead. Because you may well acquire that possession that is permanent, everlasting, eternal, not subject to change, and that might endure as long as eternity. But do you see any such possession, Bhikkhus? No, venerable sir. Good, Bhikkhus. I too do not see any possession that is permanent, everlasting, eternal, not subject to change, and that might endure as long as eternity. So he's being fair. He's giving them the option of holding on to views. He's not saying... Uh, He's not saying to blindly cling to his views and his teachings. Right? If it turns out that by following, by going against his teachings, it leads you to uh, finding something that is lasting and eternal, that you can actually acquire a possession that is permanent, everlasting, eternal, then uh, he says, go for it. It's not even you may well acquire it. Mean, it's like... Uh, Go for it. Do it. I, I entreat you. Acquire that possession that is permanent, everlasting, eternal, not subject to change, and that might endure as long as eternity. And he says, do you see such a possession? Of course the monks don't see such a possession, because they're, these are meditators. These are people who have spent time studying reality and watching it arise and cease, watching everything change and realizing that there's nothing that you can possess that lasts even, well, even more than that moment of experience. The Buddha says uh, he doesn't see such a thing. And number two. Because you may well cling to the doctrine of self that would not arouse sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair in one who clings to it. But do you see any such doctrine of self, Bhikkhus? No, venerable sir. Good, Bhikkhus. I too do not see any doctrine of self that would not arouse sorrow, Lamentation, pain, grief, and despair in one who clings to it. Um, right, so we, we went over this earlier about how self leads to suffering. And the self is really the glue that keeps our, uh, our defilements together, keeps our defilements solid. When you cling to something as self, then you get upset when it... Uh, when it changes, when it goes against your will, when it uh, disappoints you. It disappears when you want it there, is there when you want it to disappear. So he's saying any doctrine of self will eventually lead to this kind of suffering. It can't possibly lead you to happiness and, and peace. And he says if you see such a view, where you could cling to something and say, this is me, this is mine, this I am, and have it not lead you along, you simply do it. But the problem is, um, whatever we become breaks down. Everything we, be we become is simply a construct. It's an artifice. All, our whole identity is something that we create, entirely created. Created over time and habit and carried on from lifetime to lifetime, but totally mutable and artificial. And so um, not manageable, not able to satisfy, not able to appease, not able to provide st the stability of a true self. So when we... When so if you see such a thing, go for it. But if you don't see such a thing, don't go for it. Don't don't have a belief that there is a self unless you actually see that there is a self. So he says, and he, he, the point I made earlier is that he's not saying there is no self. It's not that, that he believes there is such a self. It's not that he denies the idea that there isn't one. He doesn't say it. He says, look at it this way. 
cling to self if it's going to make you happy. Do you think it's going to make you happy? Can you find a view of self that makes you happy? No, it just makes you have expectations and identification and, and uh, suffer when things don't go your way. It doesn't lead you to peace, it doesn't lead you to contentment, it leads you to further clinging and grasping and so on. Because you may well take as a support that view that would not arouse sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair in one who takes it as a support. But do you see any such supportive views, Bhikkhus? No, Venerable Sir. Good, Bhikkhus. I too do not see any supportive views that would not arouse sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair in one who takes it as a support. Okay, so the supportive views, it says, are all kinds of views of personality, um, any kind of views. In general, the micha ditti, or wrong view, is considered to be any type of view. Uh, often, micha ditti, wrong view, is, is shortened to just view, because views almost entirely are rejected by Buddhism, except for that view. No, the, the, the view in Buddhism is that uh, that of the Four Noble Truths, that there is suffering, and the cause of suffering is, is craving, or thirst, or desire and that the cessation of suffering comes with the cessation of desire, and the path is the Eightfold Noble Path. This is the Buddhist view. Apart from that, uh, and only because it's, it's empirically evident, it's something that's right in front of us, and that it's useful and helpful. Uh, any other view that is not empirically observable and or not helpful uh, is considered to be taking a view as a support. So the view of the Four Noble Truths is just something that we realize for ourselves, something that we experience through our practice. If we're nudged along in the right direction, we'll actually see within ourselves that it's the truth um, without having to rely on views. So titi nisaya means reliance on views. In Buddhism, we don't rely on the views. We take the views as a uh, roadmap. We take the, the teachings as a roadmap to see for ourselves, and our views are based on our experience, or should be based on our experience. Because there being a self, would there be for me what belongs to a self? Yes, Venerable Sir. Or there being what belongs to a self, would there be for me a self? Yes, Venerable Sir. Because since a self and what belongs to a self are not apprehended as true and established, and the standpoint for views, namely that which is self is the world. After death I shall be permanent, everlasting, eternal, not subject to change. I shall endure as long as eternity. Would it not be an utterly and completely foolish teaching? What else could it be, Venerable Sir, but an utterly and completely foolish teaching? Okay, if there being a self, would there be for me belongs to a self. Well, given that there's a self, then one identifies with it, and all experience, everything that's experienced, is then uh, identified with. Everything that is acquired, everything that is become, everything that is uh, internalized is then considered to be self. It's considered to be belonging to self. And then, there being the belonging to self, there would be the self. Anyway, uh, but neither one of these is is evident. There's neither the self, and there's neither what belongs to the self. So, um, I guess I'll, sort of what he's saying here is that uh, you would see both of them. If there were a self, then there would be what would belongs to self. But you can't see what is what belongs to self, so then there can't be a self. Or if there were what belongs to self, there would be a self, but you can't see a self, so there wouldn't be something that belongs to self. Self has to do with, in this sense, with the um, ownership of certain things, ownership of the aggregates, that it's me who experiences, it's I who experiences. And uh, this is, in, in actual fact, this, this is not uh, manifested. In actual, in actual experience, there is uh, simply body and mind, the ex momentary experience that arise and cease. 
the idea of a self is something that arises as an experience itself. So he says it's a foolish teaching to therefore give any 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 credence to this idea of some kind of self, permanent, everlasting, eternal, not subject to change. All of that is foolish considering that there is none of these are apparent. Not apprehended as true and established. There's no experience of this. So to to establish this, he goes through the basically the Anattalakana Sutta, and here we're going to read through what is basically the Anattalakana Sutta. Bhikkhus, what do you think? Is material form permanent or impermanent? Impermanent, Venerable Sir. Is it is what is per impermanent suffering or happiness? Suffering, Venerable Sir. Is what is impermanent suffering and subject to change fit to be regarded thus? This is mine, this I am, this is myself. No, Venerable Sir. Okay, he's going to go through the five aggregates. If you're familiar with it, this is the core of it. So the five aggregates, he asks first about, about form. Is form permanent or impermanent? Well, form, he's referring here to the experience of form. Whether um, it be earth, air, water, and fire means hardness, softness, uh, stiffness, or flaccidity. The water element is cohesion, and then fire is heat and cold. All of these, all of our experiences or material form is subject to experience, is is only manifested as experience, and that experience is impermanent, arises and ceases. Moreover, form is constantly changing, uh, maybe not quickly, but uh, form in, in a conventional sense is, is, is always changing. Uh, even stone is worn away by time, uh, even the sun is burning up burning up and will eventually burn eventually will explode and burn us all to a crisp or something. Uh, change is inevitable. So it's impermanent. Because it's impermanent, it can't it's suffering or happiness, it's suffering. But that means that it's just not happiness. It can't really satisfy you because you will never be able to rely upon it. It's always going to change and change causes uh, suffering, dejection, um, unmet expectations and um, dissatisfaction because of our clinging, because we build up and build up these clingings and, and, and desires for certain things and when they're not like that we suffer only because of our building up our attachment to them. This doesn't mean they're inherently a cause for suffering. They don't have to be if we don't cling to them. Bhikkhus, what do you think? Is feeling, is perception, are formations, is consciousness permanent or impermanent? Impermanent, venerable sir. Is what is impermanent suffering or happiness? Suffering, venerable sir. Is what is impermanent suffering and subject to change fit to be regarded thus? This is mine, this I am, this is myself. No, venerable sir. So feelings are impermanent. This means feelings are all constantly changing. We feel pain sometimes, pleasure sometimes. No one can feel pleasure constantly, 24-7, or pain constantly, 24-7. It's, it's changing, and so it's unreliable, and it shouldn't be regarded as a source of happiness because it only creates more expectations, and those expectations are constantly being unfulfilled when we have to meet with unpleasant, undesirable sensations, different from what we expect. Sanya means memory or recognition. We have memories that we would we don't want to remember, and yet we still remember them, so they're impermanent. They're unable to. Uh, this isn't totally the Anattalakana Sutta, is it? It's right. No, it is. Yeah. Uh, and as a result of being impermanent, it, Sanya is therefore suffering because we don't always remember what we want, and we remember things that we don't want to remember. Sankara means our judgments. We want to be able to judge things properly and, and in a way that makes us happy, but we find ourselves judging certain things negatively, and as a result we get angry and upset at certain experiences and certain phenomena, and therefore we suffer because our judgments are impermanent, sankharas, form, mental formations. And vijnana is also impermanent. You can't say, may I only be uh, conscious of certain experiences and not be conscious of other experiences can't be so. And so as a result, we're conscious of experiences that cause us suffering, and we, our expectations, again, are never met. Therefore, it's impermanent. 
and suffering. And most importantly, it's not fit to be regarded as this is mine, this I am, and this is myself, meaning that because it's not under your control, it'd be ridiculous to say this is mine because it's changing against your wishes. Therefore, anyone who sets up this idea that this is mine, this I am, this is myself, is setting themselves up for uh, unmet expectations and therefore suffering. Therefore, bhikkhus, any kind of material form, whatever, whether past, future, or present, internal or external, gross or subtle, inferior or superior, superior, far or near, all material form should be seen as it actually is with proper wisdom thus. This is not mine, this I am not, this is not myself. Any kind of feeling, whatever, any kind of perception, whatever, any kind of formations, whatever, any kind of consciousness, whatever, whether past, future, or present, internal or external, gross or subtle, inferior or superior, far or near, all consciousness should be seen as it actually is with proper wisdom thus. This is not mine, this I am not, this is not myself. Okay, so this refers to the actual meditation practice. See, it's quite, e it's easy to, as Arita did, to misunderstand these sort of teachings and just think that while you sit around and think of them and you get the idea that they are they are impermanent suffering and on self, but that's not at all what the Buddha is saying. You have to be, it has to be seen as it actually is with proper wisdom. So this has nothing to do with um, reflective introspection. It has to do with actual observation of things as they are. The understanding of non-self in Buddhism is not difficult. It's um, well, it's 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 not a difficult thing to to undertake. It's difficult to succeed. It takes time, effort, and persistence. But um, it's not something strange and esoteric. You sit down, you close your eyes, and you watch things in the you watch experience in the proper way, and you'll see everything arising and ceasing. You'll see the five aggregates coming and going. You you'll see them. Uh, appearing and disappearing, going of their own accord without any uh, direction from any being, any self, any soul, and then the mind will begin to let go of any kind of clinging as a result. It will be seen with proper wisdom, Seeing thus bhikkhus, a well-taught noble disciple becomes disenchanted with material form, disenchanted with feeling, disenchanted with perception, disenchanted with formations, disenchanted with consciousness. So when you see that they're not self and they're impermanent suffering and non-self, the key is that the mind becomes disenchanted. There's less uh, interest in striving for these things and in, in concerning about them and worrying about them and expecting them to be this way or that. One gets bored of chasing after things that don't satisfy. We wonder why we suffer in the world, why we why we continue to do things that cause us suffering. It's because we're still enchanted by them. We're still intoxicated by them. If we, we, we don't have to shut that off or hate ourselves for it. We simply watch it and become disenchanted. You become bored, essentially, of uh, the experiences that are causing you suffering. You, you're striving and striving and striving and causing yourself more and more suffering. Once you watch it and see that it's causing you suffering, you give it up with disgust. Being disenchanted, he becomes dispassionate. Through this passion, his mind is liberated. When it is liberated, there comes the knowledge. It is liberated. He understands. Birth is destroyed. The holy life has been lived. What had to be done has been done. There is no more coming to any state of being. When the mind is liberated, he un understands that the mind is liberated. Liberated, how liberated? Because of no passion, because of no going out. The mind ceases to go out to the experiences, ceases to strive, ceases to crave. And therefore there is liberation. Liberation is freedom, but it's freedom from within. It's not going anywhere. It's not escaping a cage. It's um, letting go of the... It's kind of the opposite of... of uh, of uh, leaving a cage, actually, the the outside world is considered to be the cage. We're like we're tied to a rack, and we become free of the bonds, and we are no longer tied to the world outside. The Arhat, Bhikkhus, this Bhikkhu is called one whose crossbar has been lifted, whose trench has been filled in, 
whose pillar has been uprooted, one who has no bolt, a noble one whose banner is lowered, whose burden is lowered, who is unfettered. Right. So we got these uh, similes that we're just going to explain what this means. And how is the bhikkhu one whose crossbar has been lifted? Here the bhikkhu has abandoned ignorance, has cut it off at the root, made it like a palm stump, done away with it, so that it is no longer subject to future arising. That is how the bhikkhu is one whose crossbar has been lifted. So the key here, he's going to go through a few uh, um, defilements. The key here is that they're cut off at the root, meaning they never come back. Because of wisdom, and it's super mundane wisdom, because of the realization of Nibbana, actually, because it never is cut off, um, abandoned at the root, cut off at the root, made like a palm stuck um, until you realize Nibbana. Once a person realizes Nibbana, then it's cut off. The defilements are cut off piece by piece by piece, bit by bit by bit, never to return because that's a type of super mundane wisdom that shifts the mind or cuts the mind, the connection the mind has with uh, experiential reality. So the first one is avidya. This means ignorance of the Four Noble Truths, ignorance of the cause of suffering, ignorance of the reality of our experience. And how is the bhikkhu one whose trench has been filled in? Here the bhikkhu has abandoned the round of births that bring renewed being, has cut it off at the root, so that it is no longer subject to future arising. That is how the bhikkhu is one whose trench has been filled in. I mean, the water isn't flowing when the trench is filled in. There's no flow. So in the same way, the bhikkhu is no longer flowing through rounds of rebirth. And how is the bhikkhu one whose pillar has been uprooted? Here the bhikkhu has abandoned craving, has cut it off at the root, so that it is no longer subject to future arising. That is how the bhikkhu is one whose pillar has been uprooted. The craving is like a pillar. I have to ask the Buddha. I think it's like uh, hoisting a, a banner. Oh no, that's down below the banner. A pillar. I don't know something that keeps you keeps keeps you rooted, keeps you in the spot, keeps you attached to the world. I guess. And how is the bhikkhu one who has no bolt? Here the bhikkhu has abandoned the five lower fetters has cut them off of the root so that they are no longer subject to future arising. That is how the bhikkhu, that is how the bhikkhu is one who has no bolt. Bolt, I think, is like a, uh, uh, their, their version of a lock at the time. They didn't have locks, but it was a bolt to keep a door closed. So something that keeps you in a, uh, a jail, for example, would be a bolt. So free from the jail is free from the five lower fetters. And how is the bhikkhu a noble one whose banner is lowered? Whose... Wait just a second, I should explain the five lower fetters. The five lower fetters are um, uh, doubt. Uh, no, sorry, start from the beginning. First one. Am I going to get these? Wait a second. Greed. Oh, maybe I don't even know them. Patinga. Uh, Gama, Raga, Patinga. Yeah, no? Sakaya Ditti, Sila Bhattaparamasa. That's right. Sakaya Ditti, Sila Bhattaparamasa. Sakaya Ditti means view of self. Sila Bhattaparamasa means attachment to rites and rituals. Michikicha means doubt in the practice. And Gama, Raga means sensual lust. And Patiga means aversion. So it's an anagami. An anagami has cut off these five lower fetters. It's going to talk about the anagami below as well. And how is the bhikkhu a noble one whose banner is lowered, whose burden is lowered, who is unfettered? Here a bhikkhu has abandoned the kasit, I am, has cut it off at the root, so that it is no longer subject to future arising. That is how the bhikkhu is a noble one whose banner is lowered, whose burden is lowered, who is unfettered. Right, so the banner is conceit, manner is waving your flag, right? This is a conceit of I am, a conceit of self. Because when the gods was Indra, the, Bra the Brahma and the Pajapati seek a bhikkhu who is thus liberated in mind, they do not find anything of which they could say. The consciousness of one thus gone is supported by this. Why is that? One thus gone, I say, is untraceable here and now. So an arahant, when they pass away, 
trying to find where they went, trying to find where they were, be, where they were reborn, trying, trying to find what happened to them after death is impossible for anybody, even the Buddha. That's gone, Tathagata. So here we see where the Tathagata, how Tathagata is used. The Tathagata is an epithet of the Buddha, but it's also used uh, here to talk about the Arahant. Misrepresentation of the Tathagata. So saying, bhikkhus, so proclaiming, I have been baselessly, vainly, falsely, and wrongly misrepresented by some recluses and Brahmins thus. The recluse Gotama is one who leads astray. He teaches the annihilation, the destruction, the extermination of, his, of an existing being. As I am not, as I do not proclaim, so have I been baselessly, vainly, falsely, and wrongly misrepresented by some recluses and Brahmins thus. The reckless Gotama is one who leads astray. He teaches the annihilation, the destruction, the extermination of an existing being. Right. So he says, no, I don't teach such a thing because the Buddha talks. The Buddha doesn't have any idea of the concept of an existing being. He doesn't teach the annihilation of anything except defilements, uh, the destruction of anything but the fetters, the extermination of anything but the whatever, the defilements in general. Um, so... This idea of nihilism is a, um, it, it, you see, in and of itself, it, re it relies upon the concept of uh, eternalism, of a soul that is continuous, of something that is continuous, which Buddhism doesn't postulate. Buddhism doesn't postulate either. And that's what the Buddha is going to say in the next paragraph, which is this brilliant summary of, what, of, of how Buddhism gets around all of these metaphysical questions by not even concerning with them because they're useless, meaningless, and unrelated to reality. What's not related to reality? Next paragraph. Because both, both formerly and now what I teach is suffering and the cessation of suffering. If others abuse, revile, scold, and harass the Tathagata for that, the Tathagata on that account feels no annoyance, bitterness, or dejection of the heart. And if others honor, respect, revere, and venerate the Tathagata for that, the Tathagata on that account feels no delight, joy, or elation of the heart. If others honor, respect, revere, and venerate the Tathagata for that, the Tathagata on that account thinks thus. They perform such services as these for me in regard to this, which earlier was fully understood. Okay, so first, the important part. Because both formally now he teaches suffering and the cessation of suffering. Remember, that's what the Buddha teaches. He doesn't teach other metaphysical ideas. He teaches suffering and the cessation of suffering. So all this talk about self and non-self, he's just saying wrong. He's not giving any of his own views on this is self, that is self, this isn't self, that isn't. Or he's, not, or he's not saying there is a self, there isn't a self. He's just pointing out that all these things that we think are self are not actually self. All these views that we hold are, are mistaken that all we should hold as a view is what is suffering and what is the cessation of suffering. Concern ourselves with these two things and we'll become free from suffering. After that, there's nothing else that we have to worry about. Right, let's not go into that. And then, basically, he says he doesn't, because, because of how powerful this state of cessation of suffering is, um, one who attains it has no feeling of elation or dejection over anything, especially not the honor, respect, honor, respect, and reverence. And this last part, Bhikkhubodhi says, it's um, they're they're only praising me for what I already did or my own or earlier practice. So who I am now has nothing to do with these people are praising me because I'm free from suffering. Well, that is totally related to what I already did. It's already in the past. So even that he doesn't cling to as self. Brilliant, really. Uh, enlightenment is, is not something he says, I'm enlightened. He says that, that enlightenment thing had happened earlier, so they're just paying respect to something that's in the past. Therefore, because if others abuse, revile, scold, and harass you, on that account should, you should not entertain any annoyance, bitterness, or dejection of the heart. And if others honor, respect, revere, and venerate you. On that account, you should not entertain any delight, joy, or elation of the heart. If others respect, revere, and venerate you, on that account, you should think thus. They perform such services as these for us in regard to this, 
which earlier was fully understood. So if anyone respects you for your good qualities, you think, well, it's, only, it's something I did in the past. People respect you for things that you've done in the past, not for who you are now. Therefore, bhikkhus, whatever is not yours, abandon it. When you have abandoned it, that will lead you that will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time. What is it that is not yours? Material form is not yours. Abandon it. When you have abandoned it, that will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time. Feeling is not yours. Abandon it. When, it, when you have abandoned it, that will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time. Perception is not yours. Abandon it. Formations are not yours. Abandon them. Consciousness is not yours. Abandon it. When you have abandoned these things, that will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time. Abandon all of these things. Um, first, first, the first step is to see that reality is made up of these five things, and then abandon them. Once you can abandon, and maybe not the word, maybe the word abandon seems too strong, but it just means when you have no attachment to them. There's no need to run away from them. But they are really and truly abandoned in the end, and the mind... Uh, has has no interest or inclination to move towards any of these things. And this is what we're working on. Concentrate on the five aggregates, understanding them as they are. They're not yours. He gives, he gives here a definite uh, statement of fact that he has realized for himself that none of these things are yours. If you let go of them, abandon them, it will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time. And then he gives this great simile here. Bhikkhus, what do you think? If people carried off the grass sticks, branches and leaves in this Jeta grove, or burned them, or did what they liked with them, would you think, people are carrying us off or burning us, or doing what they like with us? No, venerable sir. Why not? Because that is neither ourself nor what belongs to ourself. So too, Bhikkhus, whatever is not yours, abandon it. When you have abandoned it, that will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time. What is it that is not yours? Material form, feeling, perception, formations, and consciousness are not yours. Abandon them. When you have abandoned them, that will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time. Right. So just as we don't get worried, it's like this. Uh, if someone else's children get kidnapped, you don't, you don't grieve, you don't mourn, you don't cry. Uh, but when your own children get kidnapped and carried off, mourn and cry. Why? It's because of attachment. It's because of our um, well, attachment to them as being me, as mine, and so on. We do this with everything. So he says, with, you wouldn't do that with uh, all of these other things that are not yours, that are not you and not yours. So he says, don't do it with all of these other things that are not you and not yours. We're just making the same sort of mistake as someone would make if we sat around and grieved and mourned when people took away things that aren't ours, we would suffer as a result. And so we suffer as well, unneed, unneed, unneeded, unnecessarily, um, with, with all sorts of other things, the five aggregates, with all of our experience, all of who we are, we cling to, and it's also not itself. Bhikkhus, the Dhamma, well proclaimed by me, is clear, open, evident, and free of patchwork. In the Dhamma, well proclaimed by me thus, which is clear, open, evident, and free of patchwork, there is no future round for manifestation in the case of those Bhikkhus who are arahants with taints destroyed, who have lived the holy life, done what had to be done, laid down the burden, reached their own goal, destroyed the fetters of being, and are completely liberated through final knowledge. Pretty clear. No, there's no ground for manifestation for the arguments. Stains are destroyed. Because the Dhamma well proclaimed by me thus is clear, free of patchwork, and the Dhamma well proclaimed by me thus, which is clear, and etc., free of patchwork. Those bhikkhus who have abandoned the five lower fetters are all due to reappear spontaneously in the pure abodes and there attain final nibbana without ever returning from that world. Okay, so let's start this comparison here. Uh, well, first of all, let's, see, let's, let's point out, re reiterate what the Buddha said. 
the Dhamma proclaimed by the Buddha is many things. is clear, open, evident, and free of patchwork. So his teaching is very clear, very easy to understand for someone whose mind is clear. And the clearer your mind is, the easier it is to understand the Buddha's teaching. It's not something that is hard uh, to understand, not something that is even uh, worthy of any sort of debate. Nothing in the Dhamma that is torn, worn out, stitched, and knotted by way of hypocrisy rather than other deceptions. There's nothing that is just patched together. It's very clear, set forward, um, mm. all uh, one system. Quite simple. Basically, the Four Noble Truths. Right? So the first type of person is one who has uh, destroyed all the taints. This is the this is someone who will never be born. When they pass away, that's it, completely liberated. The second type of person, someone who has who has uh, abandoned the five lower fetters that I mentioned earlier, uh, that we were, were mentioned earlier. These people, when they pass away, uh, they're born in the pure abode, the Sudavasa, which are the abodes of the Anagamis. What's returner? Non-returners. They don't ever return. They go instead to the Anagami realms. And from there, they attain final Nibbana. It's a Brahma realm. There's some kind of god that never comes back to another oh, form being. The third type That's the is someone who has abandoned three fetters. So these are the these are the three that I mentioned. Sakya Ditti, Siddhavata Paramasa, Vichikicha, and has attenuated the other two, which is Kamaraga and Patika. But hasn't gotten rid of them. So these people are once returners. A once returner is someone who will come back once to this world to make an end of suffering. The fourth type of person is a Sotapana. They have abandoned the first three fetters, Sakayaditi, Siddhavata Paramasa, and Vichikicha. And therefore, they are no longer subject to perdition. They'll never go to the four lower realms of hell. Uh, the animal realm, the demon realm, or the uh, ghost. ghost realm. And then the fifth one is those bhikkhus who are Dhamma followers or faith followers. They are all headed for enlightenment. And what this means? Um, so they're people who are people who through their practice will in the future become enlightened. Now it doesn't mean that they're assured of it, but certain people will. It's just the way that they're going. It's the way it happens. Some people have gained so much faith and or uh, dhamma, wisdom, they're therefore headed for enlightenment. And then the sixth type of person is someone who has faith and there are love in the Buddha. Love in the Buddha's teaching doesn't practice it, but has faith and love in the Buddha and are therefore headed to heaven. This is at what least, the Blessed One said, the bhikkhus were satisfied. The last one is at least for just one life. That's all that's guaranteed, just yeah. the next life, right? Devoted to the practice of insight meditation, huh? Maybe it's a chula sotapanna. I don't know. Anyway, there we have the Alagadupama Sutta. One hour in total. Another good session. Thank you all for tuning in. We have four viewers tonight. And we're getting a lot more viewers on YouTube, so it's great to have people tuning in. I mean, that's our evening session. We're here anyway. We were doing this before we had broadcasts, so it's not like we're doing anything special, just doing it in front of the computer and broadcasting to an audience as well. So I can do it and try to keep doing this. We're going to have a break, um, probably uh, Sunday we won't be, Saturday we might not be doing it, and, and then we won't be until we get the internet up again. Are we doing it on Friday? Probably Friday, uh, I don't know. Anyway, that's all for tonight. Have a good night.